Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, where we talk to great leaders who are influencing the next generation. Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast. My name is Jeff Pitts, hosting alone. My usual counterpart, Rob Fultz, is in Louisville doing some uh, PhD level work. Um, I was considering, and I'll let you guys, the audience decide maybe, that when he gets his PhD and I finish this master's work, maybe we'll just call the show Dr. Rob and Master Jeff. But that's another conversation for another day. We want to get to today's conversation, and that is with uh, recording artist, author, and now running for Congress in the Northern California, Sean Foyt. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hey, guys. Great. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was reading that that in your bio that you are a former high school quarterback. That's right. Yeah, Uncle Rico, baby. Uncle Rico. So are, are you ready for the national title game? Is that what you're you're preparing for now, Uncle Uncle Rico? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I uh, I played in high school and I got the uh, high school championship ring. We actually won the state championship in Virginia. So. Uh, my kids think it's a big deal when they see my my ring of glory up on my dresser. Oh, nice. So how does a kid from Virginia get clear out to the the other coast there on the West Coast? Oh, that's a long that's a long story. I mean, I I ended up going to um I ended up going to college in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Then I lived in Dallas, then I lived in Pennsylvania, and now I'm out here in Northern California. As you can see, little Northern California glory right behind me, some antlers, and um, yeah, it's been a it's been a wild journey, but um, a lot of it did start back on the East Coast in Virginia. Cool, cool. So music's been a sort of the calling card for you, really, in the calling of your life. Um, and, and we we talk a lot to Rob and I are, work with college students here, and we we work with leaders who work with college students. When did you know that was sort of the calling of your life, that, that music piece? Well, you know, I, I think music is, is definitely a part. I think the, the greater calling for me has always been uh, the nations, um, the lost. It's always been, you know, going into to different uh, parts of the world, you know, the darkest and hardest parts of the world. That's always been my, my heart. And I think, you know, my dad was a doctor. And, uh, you know, he used that skill, you know, he's a medical, full-time medical missionary. And uh, for me, uh, it's, it's been music. And so I've used that, you know, in the same way that my dad used medicine, I've used music. And, you know, I have a business degree and, and, and stuff like that. And that's been really helpful. But uh, music has been a huge door opener. And, you know, I always tell people that songs go places that sermons can never go. So, so. I think that's, that's, that's incredibly true. I mean... I, I can't tell you how many times, whether, and I don't know who gets the credit, but but a Bethel song has been the song of a season in my life um, to get me through something. And, and music has this power, and I think you're right, to open a door that sometimes a message won't. The Where a musician, a, a person with the gift and skill of music, may get an opportunity that a, a preacher or pastor may never get. Have you found that true, that the the that music's open doors for you that otherwise maybe you couldn't walk through? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that songs, you know, songs just carry, it's just, they, they carry the ability to move people's hearts. And, you know, I mean, I think, you know, there's a, 
you know, there's a lot of places, let's just take the Middle East, for example, we're over there a lot. We're in the Middle East a lot. We have long-term teams in Iraq and, and, and across the Middle East. And, you know, you can't really get up in a street corner and, and preach necessarily, but you can release songs. They love music. They're a very musical culture. And you can essentially sing your sermons into their heart. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and it's been powerful. We've seen God do amazing things through util- utilizing that tool. Can you give us one, maybe one story of how, how a song in one of those nations or one of those situations really sort of changed the atmosphere of the environment? Well, we're, we're about ready to release a documentary. We have a 70-minute documentary that we shot with Bethel Music. I took a crew over with me to Iraq, and uh, we shared, um, you know, we, we basically kind of shared the story of how you know, being with the, you know, the refugees that were under ISIS control for three years, what it looks like when they, when they kind of come face to face with uh, everything they, they were indoctrinated to hate, you know, Americans, Christians, and mm-hmm. we're the first ones with aid and food to, to open them with welcome arms, but we're also bringing music and we're bringing worship. And in the documentary, which I can't wait for you guys to see, uh, I don't think there's been anything that's, that's been captured like this uh you see on the film uh incredible miracles happen you see families you see, you kind of just see worship invading uh these really really dark places and touching people and and there's so many testimonies it's, it's just really amazing to watch it happen yeah that that sounds awesome we'll have to keep our eye out um for that documentary i'm excited to to get a look at that um like i like i said to you earlier we're, we're on a college campus and um you you talk a lot about calling and purpose. Is there a is there a differentiation for you between calling and purpose? Well, you know, I I I I get a chance to teach a lot to young people. We have a ministry school here in Reading that's you know three thousand kids plus, and it's it's amazing. And uh, you know, everybody is amped to do something with their life. Everybody wants to to be filled with purpose. Um, right. And, you know, I think that, I think that purpose, you're, you're, you're calling your purpose, your, you know, why are you put here? Your identity is, is essentially so important to discover. And we kind of spend the first year out of that three year ministry school, really just focusing on identity because, you know, the enemy has just hammered and obliterated the identity of a generation. That's everything from, you know, who they are as sons and daughters to their sexual orientation to their, I mean, everything is being just assaulted. And so when you find that identity, when you find that purpose, and then you step into your calling and, you know, the calling to me, it could, to me, it's irregardless of occupation. I mean, you can change jobs 20, 30 times in your life. I mean, I'm doing something today I never in a million years wanted to do or asked to do, but it's funny how, how, what I'm, doing actually does align with my purpose and so um yeah i think your your purpose is why you're put on the earth and your calling is is the way in which you manifest that purpose in your life man that's great so how did how did that come about let's talk about where you're going right now is is you're running for congress in northern california um that obviously seems in I don't want to say in contrast, but but in, in a little bit different than leading worship at Bethel. How did that desire or that sort of purpose or that ambition come come about? Um, you know, it, it's not really been a desire, to be honest. I've, I've never, I think <laughs> people kind of, in politics, I think they kind of align their life and, and do the, 
you know, go to Harvard and get their MBA and blah, 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 and go in the right social circles. And they kind of work themselves into to these things. For me, um, it, it's none of that. Um, first and foremost, I just try to be obedient to the doors God's open and the calling he has. And, you know, is when I, when I gave my life to the Lord and I laid everything down and I said, I'll go anywhere and do anything. Um, that means putting on a bulletproof vest and, and bringing my guitar on the front lines with ISIS, which I've done many times or walk into, you know, North Korea, uh, one of the most closed hard nations in the world, or, you know, put on a suit and <laughs> run for Congress. I think that, uh, you know, to me, I think it's kind of going back to my point, it's irregardless. I think your, your, your occupation will look different, but you know, I am burdened at the same, in the same sense, I'm burdened. I have four kids, um, nine, seven, five, and one, and I'm burdened with what the future in America is going to look like for them. Um, I, I am passionate to see uh, this death decree of Roe v. Wade overturned. I'm passionately pro-life. I would run the whole race for that alone. Um, and then, you know, I think being in California, it really accentuates kind of this, this crazy agenda that's taken root in America. Um, that's governmental control and overregulation and uh, really, it's actually absolutely crazy. And so I think I'm just standing up and saying enough's enough. I've done all the prayer meetings. I've mobilized worship. I've called people to pray for America. Now I'm kind of in a season where I'm essentially responding kind of or fulfilling some of my own prayers. Yeah. Yeah, Sean, I hate that Rob's not with us. Rob, Rob's got a similar sort of journey. He uh, is a Virginia guy who spent some time in Southern California um, and says a lot of similar things about, about the situations in California that we talk about sort of off camera, off screen here. Um, and, and the need for that. And so what I know about Bethel, um, I'm not going to brag, but I did write a master's level paper that I got an A on on Bethel Church. So if you'd like to read that later, I can pass it on to you. But um, what I know about your church is you're very engaged in culture and the community. That Bethel as a church and, and really as a people feel a responsibility to serve where they are. Has, has your church experience in your time with Bethel had an impact on on this decision to run for Congress? Um, I think, you know, I, I think when you're in an apostolic community, I think what the apostolic, the role of the apostolic in, in, in the church is to, is to kind of have, have uh, big windows and tall ceilings. Um, mm -hmm. And it's where you step into a house and, you know, I think sometimes pa pastor-dominated churches or movements, you know, the end goal is everybody becomes a pastor. You know, everybody becomes kind of in the okay. church world, which is, which is great. But in, and in many ways, that, that's kind of in America what's got us to where we are. And in the apostolic community, um, you know, we're called to literally go anywhere and do anything, whether that's affecting, you know, the entertainment industry or, man, we need, you know, we need Christians to rise up and be billionaires. We need uh, people in the fashion industry. We need people in sports and, and, and politics. We need people to go into that realm. And so I think, you know, it's not necessarily that I have a, a lot of examples, unfortunately, uh, that I'm following because there's just not a lot out there right now. For examples, from people in the faith space entering into the political arena. Yeah. But I will say that the theology and the way our, our church functions is, is, you know, I feel like they're cheering me on, you know, and Good. even those that don't understand crazy, I, I'm actually one that thinks it's crazy. 
Um, uh, but, but they are supporting me and they're like, yeah, we're praying these prayers that heaven would come to earth. We're praying these prayers that we go into all the world and we can't exclude the political arena. That, that is a place where God is worthy of worship. He's worthy of believers stepping in. So yeah, it's been a huge, a huge, uh, part of my journey. That's good. So, so you've experienced a lot of support then from, from your community there at Bethel. Yeah, I have. That's good. They've been very supportive. Well, I'm I'm excited. I was intrigued, and and again, I've been a observer from afar of Bethel Church. Um, We, my wife and I, have a actually a a young lady who we've worked with, uh, and she she was a a teacher with her, who's one of the students there at at Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Um, We think the world of her, and we think the world of what Bethel's doing. Um, So it was interesting to watch. Uh, her experience, and then see you sort of make this decision to run for Congress. It was, uh, I know I was going like, wow, I've got to talk to this guy because that's an interesting story. Um, so what do, you, what do you, you see the responsibility beyond, and you've mentioned some other things, but how is a faith community as, as believers, do we really start to engage in our culture? I mean, you're running for politics, but, but how do we become agents of change in culture? Well, I think, you know, I think that we have to go back to the words of Jesus and, you know, he, he didn't commission the disciples to all be pastors and build mega churches. And there's nothing wrong with that. People are called to do that, right. but he commissioned them into, to go in, into all the world. And, you know, most of those guys were bivocationalists. They had businesses, they had things that they were doing, uh, fishermen, um, tax collectors, and somehow they have to find a way of embracing the gospel call uh, while, uh, while doing their trade, while doing their job. And I think that, um, you know, we have to, there's been too many lines between the sacred and the secular. And we've, we've kind of in the past been in really dualistic thinking. It's, it's interesting, man, even on my journey, it's like, there's so many Christians that are apolitical, like they don't want to take a stand. They don't want to, be engaged. And because of that, we've come to the place where we're at in America. That is absolutely crazy. The rhetoric is crazy. uh, And the church is largely absent in this space. And we're suffering the consequences of the inaction of the church unwilling to engage in this realm. So, and I get it. It's, it's crazy. It's dirty. It is dark. I mean, this is a dark arena. I, I will tell you that just, just in my few months on this journey, but we have to, for the sake of the future, uh, be people that respond to the call of Jesus and engage in every sphere of society. Isaiah 2, chapter 2 says that all of the mountains essentially will become, uh, you know, the worship mountain. Like, it, it's, not just, it's not just about us being in the four walls and hiding and, and kind of doing our own little thing. It's about really every mountain becoming a, a, a witness or a revelation of God and his goodness. And so that's my encouragement to people. So for you, that next mountain is, is politics then, uh, or the political arena it, well, is something we need to yeah, I work mean, towards maybe. It is for this. It is for the season. I mean, I just want to be, uh, you know, I'm, taking my guitar into all these countries and now I'm going to take it into DC. And, um, you know, I, I want to be a, 
I want to be an encouragement to people out there. Um, I want to be, uh, I want to show people that, you know, I'm willing to fight for my generation and fight for the future of my kids and, and our nation. I love America. I mean, so much anti-American rhetoric among millennials. And I am so grateful for God's calling this nation. And I don't, I don't feel like God's done with America yet. I feel like that he has amazing plans. So, Yeah. You mentioned something I wrote down here that, that too many of us um, have blurred our, our drawn lines between the sacred and the secular. How do we go about either removing the line or blurring the line? Because I feel like that's a, I feel like that's a very valid point that, that, that the church sort of is staying out of a lot of fights or believers are staying out of a lot of fights. Yeah. It is dirty. It's, it's, a, it's a sucker punch game a lot of times. How do we step into some of those places with faith intact, with our belief system intact, and maybe blur the line between some of those spaces of secular and sacred? And, and I think Bethel does a great job in the arts especially. I mean, you're most well-known for Bethel music, but how do we as people sort of blur some of those lines? Yeah, that's, that's important. Um, and I think the Kanye conversation has been one that, that that's even another conversation I think a lot of church people have hesitated to get involved in. Um, I think a lot of people are on pause with Kanye to see um, if it's lasting fruit. Um, so I, what, what, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but what do you feel about that celebrity culture? Because we've seen some get radically saved and come out and make bold remarks. Um, what is your response to that? How do you see that unfolding? I mean, I think, I think it's ridiculous to not celebrate. I mean, you know, I mean, Jesus is king. Uh, that phrase was in Times Square, downtown Times Square, for I think three days, where over 10 million people, that's all they saw in a building, was a big blue Jesus is king. Listen, God right. will use whoever he wants to use. It's not up to us to, you know, and that, I mean, even all this, you got to follow this, this line of thinking, you know, all the way up to the president, God will use who he wants to use. And he is not on trial. He is not on trial from us, you know, having to wait for us to give him an okay or a verification. I mean, all throughout the Bible, I mean, you know, you look at the life of David. I mean, David was the worst sinner of sinners. He had an affair. Mm -hmm. He was a murderer. He was a slanderer. He was a cheater. 
And God actually chose David to, to be the lineage to which his son would come into the earth through. And he would call his son the son of David. So I think Christians got to lay down their hypocrisy. They got to lay down their right to try to prove their religiosity. God is going to continue to flip the script and continue to uh, blow our minds with the kind of people that he uses. And we just have to cheer him on. And, you know, so, you know, they're, they're not perfect people and Kanye is probably going to screw up and might do something dumb. And it doesn't mean that we, it devalues all the good that he's done. I mean, gosh, we're so grateful for, for testimonies like that. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and it seems to me that, and, and again, from a spectator view, I've not been involved in the conversation firsthand, but that the, the message of Jesus as King um, the things he's doing with Sunday service, we're seeing mass amounts of people who may never enter the door of a church building come to these 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 settings or these services, and a lot of them are giving their heart to Christ. So I think it was Paul who wrote wrote in one of the the letters that says, "What does it matter if Jesus is being preached?" Um, and that's sort of the stand I think I've taken with the whole Kanye thing. If if Jesus is being preached, what does it matter? Um, and, and so, yeah, we celebrate, want to celebrate with the good things. Um, so, and I want to touch on this and, and you tell me, and, and I'll let you guide the conversation. Your church recently, um, again, made, made a splash in the headlines, um, with one of your worship pastors, daughter passing away. And, and you guys went to season of prayer for that olive in the resurrection. Um, and, and there was some divided thought on that. Um, I, I'll be honest about what, what it caused for me is um, it caused me to pray with greater faith and to believe for more. What's been sort of the response that you guys have seen at Bethel from that? Yeah, I, I, I would love to comment on this. I was greatly affected, and I'll, I'll comment here, and then I'm, I'm going to have to bust off to another meeting. But no worries. I, I, you know, I am so, I'm so grateful. I think that, um, you know— I think that anytime somebody stands up with bold faith, um, it, it one either causes people to come into agreement with, with your, your radical faith. And by the way, this is not <laughs> people that think that this, this, this is a theological discussion. It's actually not one. I mean, Jesus said to, you know, heal the sick and raise the dead. It was very right. clear. You know, Great. we're doing the works of Jesus. We're responding. And he didn't actually give a timeline. Only pray for them until then. Only pray for them until there's no certain right. amount of time. There's no certain amount of days. That's more of a pastoral issue and a pastoral decision. But it is amazing that even the bold faith of believers uh, pressing in for, uh, for a baby to be raised from the dead is actually something that would trigger the skeptics. I mean, I'm just shocked uh, at the world that we live in right now, that even bold faith, even faith in believing the words of Jesus could be could be a lightning rod for uh, controversy. Um, it just shows you how crazy the days are that we live in. But my faith was profoundly impacted. Our whole community has been has been changed. Uh, I think any time that you see that display, uh, kind of almost uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hey, you know, we're not going to bow to unbelief, um, even if our, our God has the power to save us. But even if He doesn't you know, we're right. still not going to yield. And that's the kind of inner, uh, the inner kind of inner strength and the inner resolve that, you know, our community exhibited, you know, led by Callie and her husband, Andrew, and, and just, we were just so moved. We were so impacted. And I don't think any of us will ever be the same. You know, we were 
believing for the awakening of a two-year-old baby. And, you know, God came and awakened all of us in the process. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, I know. I know I was, um, again, challenged to pray differently and have been challenged to pray yeah. differently. We have, Sean, I appreciate your time. I know you got to run. I, we have one final question we ask every one of our guests. It's kind of a, a fun question or it can be a serious question, however you would answer it. Uh, but we do record here on a college campus. What is uh, maybe the greatest lesson or one lesson you learned in college that, that didn't take place in the classroom? Huh. Uh, probably most lessons in life. Um, I think that, uh, I think that for me, I think the management of my life, I think one is the formative years of realizing, do I really believe this thing? Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I really believe in the gospel? Do I really believe in it? I need to make those decisions that are going to guide the rest of my life. And then two, just the management of, of my life and friendships and uh, I think that that is, is amazing. I can see a definite difference as, uh, from people that have gone through a four year, uh, degree, three or four year degree, um, as those who haven't. And I think a lot of it comes down to, uh, just being able to, to manage your life and set up goals and, 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 and meet those goals. And I think when you're cramming for, for finals and you're up till two in the morning eating, uh, Papa John's and you're just, you know, <laughs> it, it kind of, it puts this drive in you. And I think that that drive is really healthy. Um, I think we all need to carry that if we want to achieve greatness. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, we are, we are so thankful for your time. I know you're busy. Um, we are, we are cheering you on. We don't have a California vote, but we're cheering you on from Tennessee. Um, how can people stay connected with you, Sean? Yeah. Hey, if you go to, if you want to track with us, you can go to seanforus.com. Again, that's seanforus.com. And yeah, I'm in California, but you know, this is a federal position and it, it, you know, I have the ability to release policy that impacts uh, not only all of America, but the world. So I want to represent conservative millennials. So jump on our team, follow us, donate, be a part of what we're doing. Uh, we'd love that. It'd be a big support. We're, we're, again, thankful for your time. And as we always say here at the Collective Co. Podcast, you have a seat at the table with us. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Collective Co. Podcast. Would you do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, and share this on social media so this content can reach other great leaders?